All right, grab your Bibles, hold them up. This is my Bible. God's Holy Word. I can be what it wants me to be. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will not leave the same. All right, Psalms, chapter number 24. We'll get there in just a little bit. The um, I sent out a message yesterday telling you that I was going to get fancy. And so I got study guides. And so I know some of you said that you wanted them digitally. I emailed those this morning. Hopefully you got them. If not, well, there are some printed ones, I know. And so, because I know... Miss Debbie doesn't have a computer, so she likes to be old school, and that's fine. We need some old school. We need some new school. We need some medium school. And so hopefully one way or another you got one. And so loving ownership. We're starting a new series. And so my goal is hopefully in the process it's four weeks. And so over the next four weeks, we learn these four principles, God owns everything. That's one that we're looking at today. God owns everything. God entrusts me with everything. That'll be in the next week. I can either increase or decrease. And then God holds me accountable. That's the last one. But today, like I said, we're looking at God owns Everything. God owns everything and I own nothing. With that thought in mind, like I said, we're going to get to Psalms 24 in just a second. But I want to read to you just a couple of verses. One of them is in Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 18. It says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in songs and hymns, spiritual psalms, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So with those verses in mind, Psalms, we're going to look at the entire chapter of Psalms 24. Psalms is the, if you want to call it the hymn book of the Israelite nation, it's as they would sing, the vast majority of these would be set to tune, that they would sing. And so while offering praise, as is common in the Psalms, there is an inherent set of responsibilities on the part of the worshiper. The people are to rejoice because the King of glory is coming. But connected to that praise is a series of truths that God's people are to apply. Look at verse number one. It says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord. And as we dive into your word this morning, we just pray that you would speak to us again, Lord. 
May you be honored, you be glorified as we do our best to truly worship you. We ask all these things, your name, amen. The first two verses set the tone for the entire chapter. Psalms 24 sets up stewardship principle that this, God owns everything. And because God owns everything, I own nothing. So because of that, we need to see everything as a tool for God's glory because he owns it anyway. Like I said, Jesus is coming. And he's going to come and he's going to claim what he already owns. And he owns it all. We, we uh, say it all the time. You know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills and he owns underneath the hills. Well, he owns it all. So many times we, we, we think of this as, as in terms of finances. And I'm sure some of you in your mind are already thinking, okay, here goes Pastor again. Is he going to start preaching on money? It has nothing to do with money. Well, I shouldn't say it has nothing to do with money. Money is part of the all, isn't it? But it, God owns everything. But there's people that because they're so worried about finances that they don't save or spend with the mindset that every dollar screams out glory to somebody. Either to me or to God. Why do you buy the things that you buy? Let's, let's, uh, uh, nothing wrong with having nice things. But why do you buy the things you buy? Kendra says it all the time. We got the minivan with an extra seat. Why? So we could pick people up for church. Obviously, there's a certain amount of seats needed for my family. There's some extra ones. Why do you buy the things you buy? See, people don't like to think like that. Every action that we do either points to us or points to God. But people don't like to think like that. Why? Because it brings conviction. Well, this thing that I enjoy doing, but it points to me instead of pointing to God. What is Hebrews, lay aside what every sin and Wait, listen, there are things that you, you and I can do that there's nothing wrong with doing, but it doesn't bring glory to God. Sometimes it might find itself in this area of time management. They're, they're their own time, and as a result, they do as little as possible what others want them to do. Listen, time is money and my time isn't cheap, right? That's the way I remember it. I added the last part. We've all heard the first part, time is money and my time isn't cheap. You want my time, you got to pay for it. Pay dearly for it. Otherwise, I could be hanging out with my wife or, or my kids or doing something that I want to be doing. See, the problem with that is that it's an idol. Whether it's time, 
whether it's money, whether it's not using our talents correctly. And all throughout, especially the Old Testament, or anytime it's idols are mentioned, they're always deaf, dumb, blind, and incapable of a meaningful relationship. They can't feel, they can't touch. But all of those who have an idol become like the idol. These sacred spaces make us deaf, dumb, blind, and incapable of having a meaningful relationship. Instead, God wants his people to trust the Lord because he is their help and their shield. We looked at judges this morning in Sunday school. God wants to be the supreme authority. He didn't want them to have a king. He didn't want them to have an earthly leader. Why? Because he wants us to have a relationship with him. There's a uh, pastor. Interesting thought for you. Did God allow the election to go the way the election went simply because of a bunch of arrogant people? I remember people when I was a teenager. First Bush, Grandpa Bush, whatever you want to call it. Made a statement that I had a book written by Dan Quayle. Listen, they really, they did, for those of you old enough, they didn't campaign. Bush Quayle, 92, didn't really campaign all that hard. They, because they really didn't think that people were going to vote for Clinton. Quayle made that statement in the book. They just really didn't think that the American people, in their opinion, were that stupid. I sent the I sent the article to Mrs. Motter. I sent it to Miss Linda. Listen, there there's evidence that. The, this election was tampered with. There's evidence. It was in Time Magazine. Okay? And it, what's done is done. I understand that. But did God allow the election to get tampered with because of arrogant people? Because politics has become our idol. And because of that, we've become deaf and dumb to the needs of our nation, and our world. But everything is a tool for God's glory. It releases us from bondage of being controlled by the things of this world. Our sacred spaces of self-worship are actually prisons we build with our own minds, locking ourselves into those prisons and convincing ourselves we can't leave. Why do people commit suicide? Well, because I'm stuck in a life I don't like and there's no way out of it. It's the only way out of it. My life is this bad. And there, listen, we, we all have hardships. We all have troubles. We all have trials. I don't know that in, in an, as an American, living in America, your life is all that bad. 
Maybe if you're in Texas right now. I don't know. And they ain't used to that. No water, no electricity. But no, I'm being somewhat sarcastic. Listen, your life isn't that bad, but we think it is. Psalms 24 stands in sharp contrast to these sacred spaces of self-worship and the resulting prison. God owns everything that God owns. That means God owns everything. You say, well, that, that sounds no dub, Pastor. We're, you know, I might be a little slow, but we're not that dumb. <laughs> and yet it's the problem. We'll talk about that in just a second. We already know that God owns everything. We, we know that. I get it. I can write it on a test. I can even hide the passage of Psalms 24 in my heart to prove it. I have no problem living or applying the first part of verse number one. The earth belongs to the Lord. Listen, we, <laughs> we make no bones about that. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's a fact in, in, in our world. As much as secular scientists want to make it not a fact, it's a fact. We make no bones about it. The earth is the Lord's. He created it. It's God's planet, and I make no claims for ownership. But the second half of verse number one we have a problem with. The contents of the earth belong to the Lord. See, now the focus changes just a little bit. I make no claims about what is parked in your driveway or in the place you call home or was it located in the house that you live in. But when it comes to my house and my car and my stuff, well, that's mine. It's not yours, it's mine. See, while God's ownership not only extends to the earth, it extends to the contents of the earth. The people on earth belong to God. You are not your own, you're bought with a price. I'm hoping that you can relate. See, as a dad, these words sometimes get stuck. I, listen, I, I know my children don't belong to me. They belong to God. I, give me the test. I can pass it. You know, all of that wonderful stuff. But when something happens that threatens the life or the well-being and you're forced to live it. But uh, Mater's grandson had a just weird driving down the road. Chunk of ice hits the car, breaks the window. Long story short, he's Cut his eye. Listen. They know, Jimmy and Jess know that Dawson doesn't belong to them. Belongs to God. They grew up in church. They go to church. They know this thing. But I guarantee you, they're having just a little bit of struggle. Why? Because it's their kid. It's their grandson. How dare you? Listen. Maybe they're not like me. But if that happened to my kid, I'd be finding the driver of the vehicle that did that, and we'd be having a very pointed conversation. Why? Because that's my kid. You did something to hurt my kid, I'm going to hurt you. 
I realize that that's my flesh, okay? Well, that's not always a good thing. But that's what, that's what my point is, is, yeah, we make no bones about, well, the earth belongs to God, but what about the, my stuff that we view as mine? Like I said, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. God has the right to change your direction. Everything in life is dependent on forces you can't control. Listen, farmers, landscaper, construction workers, they can only, they can only do certain things based on the weather. Professionals are dependent on sacrificial giving. Listen, if you, if all of us, well, it might take more than all of us, but if a large amount of people quit shopping at Walmart, guess what happens? If you quit watching cable and quit paying your cable bill and your internet bill, and I'm not telling us to do that, but what happens to the company? They're, they're dependent on circumstances they can't control. Everything in life. If we're not careful, we spend our time in worry and in fear about the things that we can't control. God owns all of it. God owns you. He owns your intellect. He owns your beauty. He owns the business you work for. It's all his. Acknowledging that God owns everything and I own nothing immediately requires action. It requires us acting like God owns all of it. And I'm just a steward of what he gives us. We hold everything with an open hand. You see everything as a tool to bring honor and glory to God. We have to fight the urge of seeing things as what actually belongs to us. Why? Because God created it. Look at verse number two. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. God is the owner of everything because God created it. I've said it before. If you had a computer problem, I realize you can't right now, anymore. If you, if you had an apple, you wouldn't go talk to Steve Jobs. Why? Because he was the creator. If anybody knows how it's supposed to work, you go talk to the person that created it. He owns everything. He owns the patents on the earth design. He owns the manufacturing process. He owns the Plants, the lions, the tigers, the bears, the worm, the fishes, the people. God owns everything. And that fact, while we don't really like it, we should because of this. 
it helps us see everything as a tool for His glory. And it frees us from the bondage of the self-made prisons. That everything is mine. Why, why do you teach kids to share? My ball. Not your ball. My ball. Not your ball. Why? Because what, what, what happens if you never... That kid grows up thinking that that ball is his. His ball. His ball. His ball. His ball. No one else can touch it. No one else can look at it. No one else can play with it. A, he's going to be a really bratty problem child. But more importantly than that, he's going to have a very miserable life. Constantly looking over his shoulder. Someone playing with my ball? Does someone take my ball? Listen, there's, well, there's more important things in this world than your ball. God owns nothing and I own or God owns everything and I own nothing also encourages us to develop the right character and heart towards the Lord. Look at verse number three. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in the holy place? He that is he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfulness, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Have you ever noticed this? The more stuff you have, the more time it takes you to manage it. Modern's got a new car. I don't, I don't know how they do it to begin with. If you've ever been over to their house, it's just narrow. You got four, four cars. Listen, I'm glad, and I'm not complaining. I'm just using it as an example. They got four cars. If they, what, I don't even know what car's in front, but let's just say it's, it's the van. Saturday. He's, we're driving to Hanover. We got, he's going to drive. He's going to take the van. The van's the first one in the driveway, and then they, they got the truck, and then they got the car, and then they got the new car, and he's got to get the van out. You know what he's got to do before he gets the van out? He's got to back three other cars out of the way. What? The more stuff you have, the more time it takes you to manage it. Man, that'd drive me batty. And you're in the bondage of the possessions of time. Why? Because it takes time to move all those vehicles. The more money you have, you're like Scrooge, you know, you're always out there counting your money. Did you ever think, how many of you watched DuckTales when, it, there's not very many people my age, Ashley and Brad are about the only ones that probably watch DuckTales. Everybody else is probably too old or too young to know what DuckTales is. But you got Scrooge up there. Every time you saw Scrooge, you always counting his money. Richest duck in Ducksburg, right? Did you, now as a kid you don't think this way, but as you get older, how in the world did he have, all he ever did was count his money. How did he actually make money? Because he was so rich and all he, all he had time to do was keep track of it. Ultimately, the Lord is the one 
who changes our heart, not man. But God expects us to work out our own salvation. Listen, salvation isn't works. God puts it in us. You've got to exercise it to bring it out. He expects us to work because God is working in us. He expects us to do good works because he designs us to do them. And we are designed us to take the responsibility for our own growth, even though we are dependent on him. Verse 3, who may ascend into the hill and who may stand in his holy place? The psalmist makes a connection between God owning everything and what God wants his people to do. Be a person whose actions are blameless. That's verse number four. The ones who confess that God owns everything also seeks to be blameless in what they do before the Lord. Psalmist draws our attention to the fact that God owns everything. Then we should be people who are blameless in the presence of God. Listen, God, what does, God said I can't be around sin, right? And I realize that we can take that to deep conversation and that's not where we're going to go today. But we should be blameless. One of the characteristics of, of a pastor, of a deacon, truthfully, of every person, but especially every Christian, blameless. Be a person that has pure motives. Look at verse number four. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfulness. What We're supposed to be people that have pure motives. A pure heart is another reference to God, and it speaks to our motivations. We have a struggle at times with our motivations. What motivates us? Listen, the entire last year, Galatians... And Ephesians, basically. I know we had a little bit summer in Corinthians. But basically, Galatians and Ephesians, what, what motivates us? If the law and the rules and the restrictions, is, if that's what motivates you, you are in for a very miserable life. What? Prisons of our own mind we're talking of, right? But the love of God constrains you. Listen. My, my kids have to obey me. Children, obey your parents, right? I mean, that's... But listen. They don't want to do it. They shouldn't obey me because they fear me. They should obey me because they love me. If, if they want to obey me because they fear me, and I haven't done anything. Remember verse number four, fathers don't provoke your children's wrath. If I haven't done anything that causes them to fear me, they just fear me. That's on them. They still have to obey me, but it's going to be a very miserable life until they're 18 years old and out of the house, right? Deuteronomy. All of these curses will come upon you Listen, you, God, we did everything that we were supposed to do. Nevertheless, all of the curses are going to come upon you because you serve the Lord your God without gladness of heart, without joyfulness, because you don't love me. 
Think, think about that for a second. You can do everything that God wants you to do that's told that you read in the scriptures, that you feel God wants you to do, but you do it out of fear and not out of love. You're still going to have all the curses on your life. The Lord reminds us that those who stand in the holy place are those whose hands are clean and whose hearts are pure. Listen, I don't, I, I, I'm going under the assumption that all of us that are old enough that have come to the realization that we're sinners have put our faith and trust in Jesus. But listen, are your hearts in clear? Are your hands pure? Can you stand before God this morning in a right conscience? No, I realize I'm not perfect, but I am doing the best I can. And I know that because I'm not perfect, I'm putting my faith and trust in you to get me to heaven. Have you submitted to God? Have you Surrendered to Jesus? Listen, there's people that haven't surrendered to the fact of what God says about us. We're all sinners. For all have sinned. Listen, God owns everything. God knows everything. He knows what you are. He loves you anyway. You haven't surrendered to the fact that you can't earn your way to heaven. You're still trying. You think you can do enough good? We haven't surrendered to the reality of putting our faith in Jesus as the only hope for salvation. Think about it for a second. How, how, for those of us that have, that burden of constantly trying to be good enough, how heavy that is. Listen, honestly, I, I can honestly tell you that to the best of my ability, I don't know what that's like because my dad's a preacher. I grew up in church. The first time that it logically made sense to me, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I can't ever remember ever having the desire or the thought or anything that I had to work my way to heaven. It just was never there. I never had that burden, if you will. Obviously, I, I was lost just as much as anybody else was but I never had that burden of trying to think that I had to work for things. Man, how heavy that has to be. Listen, God owns everything. You own nothing. And we think of that as a bad thing, but it's a good thing. Maybe you're saved and you're struggling. This idea that God owns everything Be a person who is faithful to God. We talk about taking up our cross daily. But if we're going to listen, what? Oh, thought left me. I'm sorry. I was something about the uh, in Psalms. David is talking about uh, in the holy place and it thought 
Lost me, I apologize. It's a struggle for some. Think about this for a second. This, this morning we, we talked about judges. They made a contract with people that they didn't get all the information about. They thought they came from a long ways away. They didn't. They fooled them. They put moldy bread and raggedy clothes on and, and what they made a contract with them before they had all the facts. But you know what God told the children of Israel that they had to do? They had to honor the contract. Even though it, was, it would do themselves harm. Think about that for a second. We're supposed to honor our commitments even if our commitments do us harm. A commitment might be inconvenient. It might be a challenge to fulfill. Six days a week, the boys are in their room. Ruby barks, wants to get let out. They run out there and let her out. Six days a week. One day a week. Shaking their bed and flipping their mattresses and mom's yelling at them to get out of bed. Do you ever guess what that one day a week is? It's, it's a decision to come to church. I just want to sleep one day a week. I just want to sleep in. Listen, I'll let you sleep in six days a week. I don't care. But the one day that you got to get up. It's a challenge. Listen, you know the one day a week that I really don't want to get up either is? I don't know why that is. Well, I know why it is. What? Because the devil is the prince and power of the air. He's the ruler of this earth. God allows him that. I say all the time, well, a Sunday, coming to church on Sunday is a Saturday night decision. If you're up till 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, you're not going to come to church. You're just not. If you do, you're going to be falling asleep. You're not going to get anything out of the church service. We talked a few weeks ago about don't, don't waste your time. Listen. Once you make a commitment, you have the task of fulfilling it. Since God wants you to be this kind of person, that He can give you this, He will give you the strength to accomplish it. Be a person who has confidence that God will reward you in the right time. Verse number five. Blessings is what you need for your life. For this life. Righteousness is what you need for the next life. He shall receive the blessings from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. If God, if God owns everything, realize that when you need it, when you abs it might not come until the absolute last 
second, but when you need it, God will give it to you. Right, because he owns it. Be confident that God will keep his promise to reward those that diligently seek him. When we realize that God owns everything and you own nothing, you see everything as a tool for his glory. You develop the right character and the right heart before the Lord and you look forward to coming to Jesus. You look forward to the coming of Jesus. Look at verse number seven. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The King of hosts. He is the King of glory. Listen, Revelation says what? They, you, there's, there's a crown for people that what? Look for Christ's return. Listen, it emphasizes the coming of the King of glory. Verses 8 and 10, God is the Lord. Well, he is the Lord. This ultimately describes King Jesus. Well, we have, may have been a symbol for that coming in the form of the ark or some other event. The ultimate picture is Christ and he is king. God is Lord. He is returning. We live between the two advents of Christ. He came the first time to give us life. He will come the second time to rule. Even in the midst of the chaos of our time and our culture, we know that there is coming kingdom where everything will be made right. The King of glory, Jesus, will come to bring his people to himself. And he's strong and mighty. The King of glory, King Jesus, will return. And when he does, he is coming strong and powerful. Remember what? He's going to rule with an iron fist. Humility and shame were reserved for his first coming, the second coming. Revelation nineteen eleven through 16, we won't turn there. You can read that when you get home. This king of glory, he's coming. We have much to look forward to. Ownership is a life concept. It applies to everything. Listen, he owns everything. He owns stuff. God owns stuff. God owns people. He owns us. And he owns the ones we love. This truth sets us free from the bondage of personal ownership. I know this sounds weird and... Again, I'm just using it as an illustration. When we got married, Kendra made a, a statement. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it, it has something to the effect of, I can't wait till we own our own house. 
Okay? Today. Even today. That was 13 years ago. I don't want to own my own house. Now, if God wants me to own my own house, then that's fine. I want what God wants. But I don't have any desire to own my own house. You know what happens when you own your own house? You're responsible for everything. Plumbing goes bad, you got to fix it. Electricity goes bad, you got to fix it. I know, I know people think that, that Randy, oh, you're just throwing your money down the tube. No, no, I'm easing myself of burdens. I write one check, everything's taken care of. Something breaks, it's on them. Listen, that's how God, spiritually speaking, that's how God wants us to live our life. We don't own anything. He owns it all. So when something goes bad, guess whose responsibility it is? His. You just write one check. It's a blank check. It's your life. You give it to God and he takes care of the rest. It relieves so much burden. Releases us from bondage. It allows us to see everything as a tool. It allows us to put up with our... It allows us to put our energies and efforts into developing the right character and the right heart before God. Finally, the fact that God owns everything reminds us to look forward to the coming. He's coming. He is strong and mighty, and one day he's going to come and claim what's already his. We're going to, I don't know if it's next week or the following week, I forget. But one of the weeks we're going to look about the five talents, the two talents, and the one talent. He's coming back. Listen, whether, whether you've got five, and I don't want to go into detail, whether you've got five, two, one, three, four, it doesn't matter. Whatever he gives you, you're supposed to use it. But guess what comes, guess what happens when he comes back? It was his to begin with. They, they give it back to him. The one servant, bad servant is oftentimes we refer to him as got in trouble. Why? Because he buried it in the dirt. What? He didn't even give it to the bank to get interest. Listen, it's not yours to bury. At the very least, at least interest. Why? Because he owns it all. And I don't know about you, but it, it's when we finally grasp the concept, on earth at least, it's the most relaxing thing in the world. How, how am I going to pay my electric bill? You're not going to, God is. How am I going to make my car payment? You're not going to, God is. How am I going to put food on the table? You're not going to, God is. All, the only responsibility you have is do what God wants you to do. That's why it's so important for you to be, listen, listen. If you're, if you're coming to church to try and figure out what God wants you to do, you're, you're doing it wrong. That's why you need to be in your Bible every single day.
Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word. Listen, the only way that you're going to get every word, I do, I do my best to preach the whole counsel of God, but the only way that you're going to get every word is for you to read it. Because I guarantee you, no matter how long I'm here and how long I preach, there's probably going to be at least one verse that I never get to. I could be wrong. Loving ownership. God owns everything. And he loves you. Let's pray, Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we are thankful that you allowed us to gather this morning.